0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Point, Kentucky. My name is Hunter Mitchell. I'm once again joined by my co host, Leah Edmund. She's in a different state this time, though. How are you, Leah?
1: I'm doing fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm good. You are officially in Arizona now, correct?
1: I am. I've been here since Saturday
0: morning yeah for those of you that don't know leah's pro season is about to start we'll talk more about that next week because they're going to start next friday um so we'll kind of go into more about their season and how that works all that kind of stuff next week's episode but that is why Leah is in a little bit of a different location and she will be for the next couple of weeks um, but she is still joining us so thank you for still being here Leah. we really appreciate it well we had a busy weekend this past weekend um with, with Kentucky volleyball you called the game friday um well done you you sounded great i listened it was great well done thank you. <laughs> So we're gonna go in that LSU loss or the LSU victory, excuse me, first. what um, let's let's start with the positive again. We we keep starting with positives and any with negatives, unfortunately, but we'll we'll try and hopefully change that soon. But let's start about what you liked against LSU. What did you see from Kentucky on Friday night that gave you a lot of encouragement going forward?
1: Well, first of all, I loved Brooklyn. She mm-hmm. played fantastic on friday and she was fearless you can tell that going into sec she had a different mindset and i mean that was her first time playing six rotations and she did phenomenal and i know the pressure and stress to go from like only have to worrying about hitting to having to do everything. I think she handled that really, really well. I think that's kind of like the name of the game. I mean, I think everybody did a really good job of adjusting the fact that Reagan Rutherford was not able to play. And I think Ajani, it took a little bit of a second for her to get back mm-hmm. into playing right side fully. And I think after that, but I think they did a fantastic job. I think there were moments where you saw them, they were kind of like going back into those old, but they kind of stayed the course with LSU. I mean, we saw some amazing defense. I mean, Megan flying over the yeah. sport was a moment. I mean, made number one on SEC top 10. So I mean, the crazy moments, but I really liked the defense. I really liked how they kind of stayed the course. Like definitely moments where LSU was taking the game and running with it, but they kind of stayed the course and kept pushing through. And that's kind of what you want. You want patience because the game is long, but I really liked what I saw from them defensively, especially.
0: Yeah, that that game kind of showed off both of the areas of growth that we've been waiting to see from Kentucky. Like you mentioned about Brooklyn, we have seen flashes of brilliance from Brooklyn. That was the first time we saw sustained excellence from Brooklyn. It was a complete match from her. 19 kills, a 444 clip, only three errors. She had seven digs playing in the back row, had a block. We even saw them go to her in the back row, which I thought was really interesting. First time playing in the back row, and she was coming out of the middle in that pipe attack pretty effectively. Um, Again, we talked about her size and how that high contact point is a big um, addition very very helpful for her so I think they like what they saw out of her obviously Reagan being hurt had that blocking injury in practice last last week so hopefully they're gonna they're gonna get her back soon I asked Craig about that after the match on against Tennessee on Sunday he just said he's waiting for the medical staff to clear her and tell him that that she's good to to play so hopefully she'll be back tomorrow for Georgia we're still waiting to hear if she is indeed back Um, but I do think that injury to Reagan forced Kentucky to look for balance offensively Around the net, it wasn't all Reagan, which at times Kentucky can become. They're so used to how great Reagan is, how effective she is, that at times their offense becomes very predictable. This forced them to go to Brooklyn Moore and Megan Moore and Elise Moore and Ajani Moore, and you saw four players get within you know double-digit kills. Jordan Williams had eight, so almost five players with double-digit kills. Kentucky was really, really balanced 64 kills in a four set match is an impressive number two, really liked what we saw from Kentucky offensively. You mentioned the defense journey Robinson for LSU is one of, if not the leading kill getter in the sec she's been one or two all year long. And so to hold her to 091 hitting and only 13 kills in a four-set match again, a really good defensive effort. You brought out, you know, pointed out the, the shift of Bevin into that middle back position and how effective her and Molly have been since that shift again, Then with 19 kills, Molly with seven and two aces, we're starting to see that back line come together more. And I think defensively, it was a really encouraging match for Kentucky against an LSU team that no, they're not tops of the SEC or anything crazy like that, but that's a good win over a solid team that I think is going to go well, because again, you're playing a team that has a phenomenal outside hitter, even Jay Dimps, who was a transfer in from Wisconsin to contain hitters like that's a really encouraging sign moving forward. Let's, let's kind of shift over to the Tennessee game because I think there's a little bit more to talk about with that because that was a game where we saw some some old habits come back and just more of these struggles that we've talked about. What did you notice from that match against Tennessee on Sunday?
1: Like it was like a flip. So I got to see the mm-hmm. last two steps. I was in practice, but I saw yep. the last two steps, and I feel like it was a complete flip from what they had on Friday. I feel like they did not do a great job of containing Morgan Fingal. I mean, she went absolutely yep. off, and I think – offensively they let Tennessee have too many options it wasn't that aggressive serving that we had been seeing that had been becoming better they were just in system too much and the defense didn't have anything to do with it and of course we saw that now rotating door again of new people getting put in because people weren't able to sustain and so it was just kind of like it was like the old it was like the old time like I thought we were doing a whole lot better after that LSU game but we just kind of saw them revert and not being able to push through that and I mean it was I mean I gotta give Tennessee their credit because they played phenomenally I mean they played just perfect and they weren't letting balls hit the floor and I mean like there's sometimes there's nothing you can do about that but I definitely feel like Kentucky could have given them a little bit more of a push and kind of put a little bit more pressure and forced them to make a little bit more errors and not have the offensive game that they did.
0: Yeah, Tennessee, I, I, I photographed that game on Sunday. Tennessee really had their way from the beginning of the match. I mean, that first set ended up being 25-23 Tennessee, so it looks close on the box score, but that was 24-20. Tennessee was pretty easily going to have set point. Kentucky made a little bit of a run to make it a one-point thing and kind of make it look closer than what it was. But it, it never felt like Kentucky was in that match. They struggled. Again, we keep harping on it. They have not been terminal enough, especially from that left pin. And I think – what you saw on Friday was LSU was a little taken aback because Reagan wasn't in the match and they were probably preparing for Reagan because she is Kentucky's best offensive player. Tennessee probably saw that and they said, OK, look what Brooklyn did with Reagan out. We've got to stop Brooklyn. And against Tennessee on Sunday, Brooklyn has five kills, four errors, hits 48 really wasn't a factor at all. They really keyed in on Brooklyn and they knew without Reagan, if we stop Brooklyn, Kentucky is going to struggle mightily to get offense or anywhere else. Elise had it going at times in the match, and she had eight kills and only two errors. Had a solid hitting percentage, but Tennessee held four Kentucky players to 100 hitting or below. That is not going to get it done. You have to have more offensive production. Tennessee is statistically one of the best teams in the SEC right now, just in terms of kills per set, assists per set, the way that they're blocking, the way they're holding up to other you know bad hitting percentages. So. This is by no means a slouch Tennessee team. They are ranked, I think, are they 12 or 14 now? I think they're 12 12 now. I mean, they are right outside the top 10 that the committee just released on Sunday during that match. So this is a Tennessee team that's very good. They took Wisconsin to five sets, the number one team in the country. So we knew it was going to be a challenge going into that match. But ultimately, Kentucky's offensive struggles are still rearing their ugly head. Kentucky has got to find a way to be more consistent from that left pin. I talked to Craig about it again after that match, just what can you all do? And he's again harping on, we've got to find a way to use the block. It cannot be that we are afraid of the block. You have to use it. I know that I keep mentioning this, but what made you so greatly and what made Ally so great, Maddie Skinner, Avery Skinner so great is when you saw blocks, you saw an opportunity. You did not see an obstacle. It was, how can I use the block to score? It wasn't, oh, I have to tip over it. And I still think at times we're seeing Megan or Brooklyn or Aaron tip over the block and they're giving very easy balls. So, for example, if Kentucky gets a good serve in play and they get a, a ball over that they're able to dig. They're still behind the point because they're letting the block affect them. They're not able to get a good swing off. And when you do that against these good teams in the SEC, it's just not you're, you're not going to have success to be swept at home by a Tennessee team is, is was surprising to me only because I thought after that pit match, when they swept at home, I've seen a lot of growth from this team, even in the losses. So I wasn't expecting another sweep by that Tennessee team as good as they are. I thought they could be a little bit more competitive and they just never felt like they were really even in that match.
1: Especially because they haven't also. Tennessee hasn't beaten Kentucky since my mm-hmm. freshman year. So it's been like a yeah. long standing thing of like knowing that when Tennessee comes to play, they like to ruin SEC hopes and wanting to play with that fire. But like, that's the big thing. And like, mentally, I can see what their thought process is with the tipping. It just has to be in a more strategic place. You got to get right. someone out of the Whether it's the setter, whether it's your outside, somebody has to be out of play. When you're sending easy balls over to the middle of the court that Libero can pick up, that's easy. That's basically a free ball. That's free game for the inside. So I think if they're going to tip, if they're going to start using those shots a little bit more, they've been using a lot of the two-hand kind of setting over the net, which is fine. Mm -hmm. It just has to be a little bit more strategic and trying to get someone out of the play instead of just kind of setting a ball in, hoping that you can
0: reset when you have someone with the offensive power, firepower of Tennessee coming back at you. And we saw glimpses of that against LSU. Brooklyn had that standout play where she had the back set over her head in front of the ten foot line. That was a beautiful kill. Again, most freshmen can't do that. So there are ways and times to use when it's effective. You just you you can't do it every time the block is in front of you. You have to find a way to swing high hands or tool the block out of bounds. Something to attack the block. And the funny thing is when Aaron Lamb was inserted in that third set, it was actually one of her first swings. She had a big block in front of her and she hit a sharp, I've never seen her hit a ball so sharp in my life. And it was a beautiful kill. They've got to find more of that. I'm interested in what, what you've seen Leah, cause you practice with Kentucky a little bit from those two left pins, especially Megan and Aaron Craig right now is going with Megan Wilson. Aaron Lamb has had really good moments for Kentucky both last year and even the beginning of the year, this year, The one thing that's interesting to me about those two hitters is Megan at times seems a little bit more afraid of the block than Aaron does. Aaron, to me, always seems like at the very least she's going to go out swinging, which I think right now this team needs. Do you think that there's a I mean, statistically, they're pretty even when you look at their overall numbers this season. But is there a right or wrong answer right now between Megan Wilson and Aaron Land for Kentucky?
1: not really and i mean that's the interesting part is i've been in practice and i've seen what they're capable of i've seen the drills i've sit there and work with the outsides when i'm there when to get reps and they're working on hitting off of the block, going up. And when you have a bunch of blockers in your hand, using their hands. So it's just like really interesting to not see that. Now practice is not as pressure of a situation as a game is. You know that when you make an error in practice, like that's not going on the stat sheet. That's not losing you a point. It's practice. But even in sixes, I still see them going for those shots. Now Megan is a bigger outside and that's something that you want. So her hitting the block shouldn't be too much of a factor because she's bigger than most pins that she's going to have. I mean, she's what, six, four, she's taller than me. So that should be an advantage. So she really shouldn't be hitting the block as much if she's staying high. So that's also mentally her knowing not to pull down into the block. I'm already high above the block solely because I'm 6'4 and I'm jumping. I should be able to see over the block. So really, I think it just depends on who wants it more. At this point, one of them is going to have to be like, I want this spot more than the other. So I'm going to prove it because also neither one of them are playing six rotations either. So Mm -hmm. really right now, their only goal duty is to block and to swing and maybe play some off-block or defense. So right now it's going to be between the two of them. Who wants to play more? Somebody, right. one of them has to take that. I want to play more. I want to be on the court more. I want to be the one taking all these swings. One of them is going to have to take that and not have Craig be like, okay, well, I guess if this person's not going, then I'm going to put this person in or him wanting to push them to do something. It's going to have to come from within
0: right let's shift to this weekend kentucky's got a pair of road matches story of the season they're always on the road it feels like so they're going on the road again starting tomorrow with georgia georgia is a sneaky good team this is a program that has been getting better the last several years especially they've got a dynamic left side hitter in casey evans she's a great i thought last year was their last year of dealing with her and then she came back for a fifth year so they still have to worry about casey and then the big one, the big name that Kentucky fans probably will recognize is Sophie Fisher was a part of that really talented recruiting class when Kentucky won the title as a freshman, was just playing behind some really talented Kentucky players and decided to transfer over to Georgia where they have moved her into the middle blocker position, which she used, she's used a little bit of a special way as a middle. Um, we'll talk about that here in a second. But what are you hoping to see from Kentucky as they play Georgia and then obviously Alabama on Sunday?
1: um some fight i mean georgia has a great atmosphere at their mm-hmm. gym they get a lot of fans and they are fiery i mean i got to play against casey evans which is insane to say because yeah. she's been in college that long that i got to play against her and so i very much vividly remember her she's very fearless and i mm-hmm. got to watch her again florida and if that's how they're going to play the rest of the season they're going to take a lot of people out not realizing yeah. it they are really fiery they get really excited i mean it was kind of like looking at like former Kentucky teams of how crazy we be it looked exactly like how we were playing against Florida they are fiery they are fearless and they're playing with no fear and those are the scariest teams to go against because they have no fear they do not care what happens they're going to continue playing and they're being really well coached and you can see all around they're playing a really well game so for Kentucky you're going to have to go in and be focused and you can't let the emotions because Georgia is an emotional team when you have a team that's that fiery usually they're emotional they're up and down so when they're high They're really, really high. And then when they're low, they're low. So you have to be able to stay the course and be Kentucky volleyball, regardless of what's happening on the other side of the net. And I think that's going to be the biggest struggle, not even volleyball-wise, is not trying to match them emotionally and what's going on on their side of the net. And I think Alabama, I mean – Right now, they're not playing the greatest volleyball. They were picked to be kind of bottom of the tier for SEC, but that means absolutely nothing because Georgia was in their same spot and took a game away from me my senior year. So I'm yeah. one of those that you never underestimate anyone in the SEC because they're going to play Kentucky, and with how Kentucky's been playing, everyone's going to think they're going to have a shot to try to take a set or a game away from them. So I think they really have to come in focus and being ready to play serious and can. Like, just a content game, just full on.
0: This is a Georgia team that actually beat Georgia Tech earlier this year. Georgia Tech has been a team. They were number 10 at the time when Georgia beat them. They're in the top 15 still. It's a, a talented team. Georgia beat them in four. So, this is no slouch of a Georgia team. And they, like you mentioned, they just took Florida to five sets nearly had them that was a game I believe it was at Florida yeah it was in, it was at, uh, Florida at Florida when they Florida. took Georgia to five sets so this is a Georgia team that very much is not afraid as you mentioned Casey Evans has been that way since she was a freshman she always plays completely fearless you mentioned how emotional she is the emotional leader of that team they feed off of her energy and off of what she brings them um, especially coming off of a five set loss where I think they they think they should have won that match. They're going to be itching to try and get a ranked win over Kentucky. Kentucky is ranked 23. They are three and seven. That doesn't matter to Georgia. They only see Kentucky. They are treating this as if they are the number one team in the country. So they're going to be hungry for a win. We mentioned Sophie Fisher. This is kind of one of those weird things with with, with volleyball where we'll, we'll get into a little, a little bit of the weeds, but there's that half rotation where your middle blocker has to serve and play defense against Florida when Georgia, if they got the ball when Sophie Fisher was playing defense in the back row, they actually set her in the back row. I have never in my life seen a middle blocker be set in the back row. But Sophie's experience as a pin hitter. Have you? In
1: wait, high wait. school, in high school, I okay. played six in middle,
0: oh yeah, okay, <laughs> high school, I get, but in college, I have never seen a middle locker set in the back row. Sophie has experience as a pin hitter, so it makes a little bit sense. She's also six foot five, so that high contact point helps. So that's one thing to watch out for for Kentucky. If Sophie Fisher is serving and Georgia gets that ball back on on their side of the net, you have to keep an eye on Sophie. She is the leading point scorer in the SEC from a kill standpoint and a block standpoint. So she's an all-around fantastic player, both offensively and defensively. You've got to track where she is at all times on the court because, like I said, Georgia is not afraid to set her in the back row, even though she's a middle. we, we, you, you kind of hinted at Alabama. Again, they, they came into the SEC 10-1, so they had that inflated record. They hadn't really played anybody. They haven't won a set in Southeastern Conference play yet. Now, that means nothing. You mentioned to Alabama seeing Kentucky. They just want to win, and Alabama could come out and play a game out of their mind, and they could win that game. Like Road games in the SEC are no longer this cakewalk they used to be. We are seeing conference wide how the parity in the conference specifically has just exploded. Even last night, AM beat Florida in five at Florida. I mean, this is not, there is no game this year where you are looking at these teams and going, oh, that's an easy win for Kentucky and Vice or or someone else regardless. We're three games into the conference season, and Kentucky and Florida are not in first place because they have both lost a match already. That doesn't happen i mean when is the last time that we've been able to say that kentucky or florida had already lost a match three games into the conference season it, it's just it's one of those years where you've got five teams right now ranking the top 25 in the league it's just going to be a hard year and if kentucky wants to contend for that title they're going to have to work in games like alabama games like georgia these go a long way in determining the eventual winner of the conference so you mentioned it kentucky just needs to play consistent we, we have got to see some consistency offensively especially We we are not used to seeing that because they've been so good offensively the last several years. But they have got to find a way to put the ball down on the floor the first time they get the opportunity. And you cannot keep giving other teams multiple opportunities, multiple rallies, because eventually it's going to bite you. Leah, we've kind of done a, a pretty solid preview, I think. Why don't we go ahead and transition into your ace in it? So I think we're talking about defense this week, which we saw, again, some improvement this past weekend, but then against Tennessee it kind of went out the window. So let's talk about defense and what we should expect from um, from, from Kentucky and how they're playing.
1: Yeah. So last week we went over offense and talked about how, like, we do have plays in offensive schemes, and it's the same for defense. So when you have, like, let's give an example, Casey Evans for Georgia – um, Kentucky's going to go in and have a specific defensive scheme they're going to run. So they might be either pushing her to hit more cross court, so she's going into Molly Tuzzo, who is now playing left back, or they might be pushing her to hit down the line because this might be something that she's not comfortable with. So usually there's two types of defenses that you run. Either you run a defense where you're blocking cross, and usually you'll see people hold up this to mean that they're blocking cross. And so you're funneling the ball down the line, kind of pushing that hitter to have to hit there, so you're putting her hands in places where she can't hit. Um, usually when you block that, your um your left back and your middle back kind of take a step back and they play a little deeper because technically their part of the court should be blocked. And that's the big thing. It should be blocked, it should be taken away. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So they're deeper so they can get balls that touch the block because that's what the block's job should do. And your right back is taking that ball. And then sometimes you have a defensive scheme where you're blocking line. And usually you see someone hold up a finger like a one to show that they're blocking line. So then you're funneling balls basically to your libero or whoever's in left back. And sometimes you do that a lot when you know you have a really good libero. I know when I had Gabby Curry, a lot of times we funneled a lot of balls to her because we knew that she'd be able to handle them and take pressure off of Madison, take pressure off of whoever's in middle back having to play down that line. You just funnel balls to her and make it really easy. Or somebody might be a really big line hitter, which you really don't see that often, but somebody really might crush a line all the time and you wanna funnel the ball down to your libero. And so sometimes you do that. Um, It just kind of depends on who's in front of you. And then sometimes you have a, we call ball on nose on where you kind of line up exactly where the ball is set. So a lot of times when you're blocking angle or cross, you're blocking a hitter and how they hit. But sometimes when you're blocking ball, you're blocking where the ball is. So sometimes you do that when you know a hitter has both. I know a lot of teams blocked ball on for me because it kind of gave me only a little bit of cross, a little bit of line, made me had to think a little bit more instead of letting me hit either or, because if you let me have. So they kind of only give a little bit of each. And so that kind of works to kind of help make a hitter think and only give them less options, bigger chance of them hitting into the block. So basically that's kind of how your defensive schemes work. I mean, each team is different. Um, a lot of defensive schemes work around the middle. So sometimes you have calls where the middle might, front the middle. So she'll follow the middle on the other side. So if you have Mm -hmm. someone like Sophie Fisher is getting a lot of kills or in a specific rotation, we know that they set her a lot, you're gonna have your middle follow her. So you're going wherever she is, so you can't get beat by the middle. And that works sometimes for some teams, especially when they are running a lot in front and that gap in between middle and right front, which tons of people score on, you'll see a lot of times the middle will get in front of them to make sure they have a good block. Um, sometimes you have a very powerful outside and you know, in some rotations or just in general, you want your middle already over there. You know, your middle isn't a factor on the other side and that right side isn't a factor on the other side. So you're like, nope, we're going to make sure we have four hands in front of that outside to make sure we have a solid block. And then you have the same way to the other side. So sometimes a lot of your defensive schemes goes around the middle or what's going, it's really about what's going on on the other side. You want to make sure you're putting your defense in the best chance to be able to dig a ball because defense, some everything's defense is like about like stopping. Sometimes it's just funneling, giving yourself a chance to play offense. Like you want to stop them with the block, but you also want to make them think and make them make errors. So a lot of teams have done a really good job of on Kentucky sealing their line line hasn't been available or they'll do the complete opposite or they'll take away angle because aaron and megan have a tendency to hit angle so while you're watching the game this weekend see what george doing for kentucky i predict that they are going to make them hit a lot down the line because we haven't seen that a lot from megan and aaron so i could see that them taking away their cross making them hit down the line and there's only a slither of room between that line and that antenna So I could definitely see that. I can definitely see them following a Johnny Taylor and Elise around a little bit more. So that's the defensive scenes
0: awesome and even with kentucky specifically because emma Grome is an undersized setter a lot of times you will see kentucky trying to block more cross court because they know that regardless emma's gonna get the ball's gonna go over her she's <laughs> yeah. so little there's not a lot she can do so you'll see that defender try and cover line because they just know and ultimately there's not a whole lot emma's gonna do she occasionally gets a hold of it but not often and yeah you kind of mentioned that the defensive plans where you just kind of go into the match saying we're gonna send two to this out to hit her it's reminiscent about that championship match against Texas when Kentucky really, I don't want to say they ignored Texas's middle blockers because they didn't, but they said Logan Eggleston cannot do whatever she wants. Now, she still kind of did because she's a ridiculously talented outside hitter and, and she's going to get hers, but they very early committed to, we are sending two blockers to Logan when she's in the front row. We don't really care. And obviously it worked, you won in four, so well done for that. But again, those are those little defensive schemes that make the difference. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I think Um, you know, you mentioned it. moving forward, Kentucky is getting better on that end of the floor. I think it's not quite as noticeable because the offensive issues have been so glaring. We haven't been able to really talk about and harp on how good defensively Kentucky has been at times, obviously plays like what Megan did in that sports center top 10, where she hurtled over the table and then came back into the play and got the eventual kill. Those are big things that we just aren't able to really notice because the offense has struggled so much. You mentioned it, Megan and Aaron, they're gonna have to learn how to hit line because teams are are gonna block that cross court until they prove that they can be consistent with it. And we have seen several times where Kentucky gets a one-on-one block or they have a a shot that you think is going to be there down the line and they hit it out of bounds. You've gotta find a way to keep that ball in play and keep that defense honest the more you keep them off balance the, the the quicker you're able to you know have success offensively you get that you get that block off balance and then you can have some more success so um again again you're 3 and 7 right now A lot of people are still wondering how is Kentucky ranked? You're 23rd in the country and you're four games below 500. I think it's a very clear sign. The committee is seeing and recognizing this team has had a bear of a schedule, one of the toughest in the country. So the fact that they are still ranked, I think should tell you a lot about how the committee is kind of looking at Kentucky right now. They still believe this team is very talented and has the pieces to make a deep run. It's just a matter of at some point you have to put it together. I know we keep harping on the road games and the the ranked teams and, They're not excuses because you're not excusing the three and seven start. It's just an explanation for a large reason as to why it's happened. But at some point, you do have to start winning, you do have to start stringing wins together. And this is a good starting point for a weekend where yes, it's two unranked teams, but these are teams that can still very much beat you if you are not careful and it's an opportunity for you to get some good gameplay in before you have to play the Floridas and the Tennessees again and the Arkansas, the Auburn's, kind of the the ranked Bears in the conference. This, these are the weekends that I think will really go a long way in developing you for further down the conference um, down the conference slate. So hopefully Kentucky can get us. We, we keep talking about it. We need one weekend where we go on the podcast the next week, and it's two wins. We keep splitting it. or having nothing.
1: <laughs> I would really love that. Be like, oh, my God, look at all the positives that we've done. But, like, the funny yes. thing about i've had teammates here that we talk about college volleyball here because we're all watching it all of us played in college Mm -hmm. and they're like kentucky had an awful non-conference so it's not like people aren't noticing like even people in the volleyball community know that that schedule was tough and it's going to be really hard to get through that and it's just going to be like how do they respond to that like we understand you had a hard non-conference we are commending you for choosing that schedule and making it through Mm -hmm. it we're helping you by keeping you ranked because we respect that you chose that now what are you going to do with it
0: right at some point the wins have to matter and i think we're, we're in the season now you, you've you had that hard slate you face that competition you know what it's like now now's when you start stringing wins together and start showing all right we are a talented team they've had some injuries too this team it's not like they haven't been able to catch a break i mean losing reagan when you're playing tennessee at home that's a big loss that's your leading point score that you don't have now all of a sudden against a top 15 team, so that's a hard thing to deal with but it's just conference play you got to figure it out and i think again Brooklyn's getting better Molly's getting better the defense is getting better it's happening it's just slow and you don't you didn't have a, a you didn't have a schedule that was favorable to a slow a slow progression you really needed it to be pretty pretty quick so anyway thank you all again for joining us um, Kentucky has two road matches before a road match again next Friday, and then a home match next Sunday. So we'll be back on Thursday. We're going to preview or recap this weekend. Preview the upcoming weekend. Leah is actually starting her pro career or pro 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 career her, pro, pro season. Excuse me. Next Friday, I already started the pro career. Her pro <laughs> season next Friday. So we're going to do Ace in it. It's actually going to be about athletes unlimited. There's some different rules on scoring and how this, the whole league works. We're going to break all of that down because obviously Leah and Ali Stumler-Linehan and Kaz Brown are all a part of that league. So you'll get to watch them, former Wildcats, play alongside the same time that Kentucky volleyball is playing. So a really cool thing that Athletes is doing this year where they're Coinciding with that college volleyball season to get more eyes on the sport, so really, really cool. Be sure to tune in next week where we explain all those rules and break all that down. Preview Leah's season. So excited to get to watch her play again. Um, but thank you all again for joining us, and hopefully, we will get some some cats victories to talk about next week. Hoping for two. Please. Hoping for two, and no more splitting, please. We we'll love. To <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>